I'm glad to be here tonight, and uh, my name is Tom Hunter, and um, the pastor has asked me to preach here before, and I turned him down. The reason I turned him down is I didn't have anybody to fill my pulpit for me, and number two, I was chicken. Uh, not used to preaching in a big church, had a small church, but um, glad to be here tonight. When I couldn't come, I introduced to him Brother Hugh Black. And uh, Hugh Black's a blessing, amen? amen. And yeah, now he don't always tell the truth, because whatever he said about me today, <laughs> just scratch that, would you please? He put a lot of pressure on me. And, uh, but I love Brother Black, our church loves Brother Black, and he was so good I quit asking him to come. I mean, he's that good. But uh, glad to be here tonight. I'm, I met a lot of people that I know, and just I felt real at home here, to tell you the truth. And uh, beautiful church, probably the prettiest church I've ever been in in a long time. I know it's a beautiful church. I, I love to just step back and say, look what God did. Amen. And to God be the glory. And uh, I come here tonight, and I, I grew up in Ohio. I'm a Buckeye. Any, any other Buckeyes here? All right, all right, all right. We should have won that game. <laughs> and... Um, I went to school. Where's Vivian at tonight? Where's Vivian? She, she was right there. Vivian, she moved on me. She's right over here. This dear lady, she told me she was from Kentucky. I said, well, bless God, I went to school in Kentucky, University of Kentucky. And then she said she was from, I said I was from Ohio, and I'm from Cincinnati. She said, oh, I'm from Cincinnati. I said, I, I grew up in a little town called Milford. No jive. From Milford, she told me where her husband, was there a husband who's buried? Or your dad? Her dad's buried, same cemetery as my dad. I mean to tell you, we're related somehow, I know it. And, uh, but we done made a big bond together. And uh, so I, I'm from Ohio, and I pastored in Michigan uh, for last 23 years, last time I pastored there, and uh, uh, lived in Michigan. I went to school in Pontiac and got out of there alive. <laughs> and uh, I, I was under the training of Dr. Tom Malone. Anybody know Dr. Tom Malone? He is the great, was a great... At one time, he was known as the greatest preacher in America. What a mentor that I had, Dr. Tom Malone. Dr. Charles Keene was my pastor for most of my life, Dr. Charles Keene in Milford, Ohio. And uh, so I've had two great pastors, and um, I praise God for that. I've got uh, my wife and I, we have four children, and uh, my two sons are pastors. Uh, my son, Tom Jr., pastors down in Plantation, Florida, and he had 22 baptized this morning. Man, amen for that. 22 baptized. They had revival and they had 22 baptized. My son Aaron, uh, he pastors up in Port St. Lucie, has a new church start up there. He's over 100 now and doing very well in Port St. Lucie. If you know some people looking for a church, it's Bible Believers Church and uh, near the Civic Center. So Aaron pastors. My son-in-law pastors down in the uh, west, uh, see, Southwest Ranches down near Fort Lauderdale. And so my daughter Amy is, is his wife. And um, my daughter Tiffany, she lives in Port St. Lucie, and Tiffany and Crystal, I think, is the pastor's daughter-in-law, true? And they are best buds. They met in Milford, Ohio, and uh, so uh, I have some connection here, and uh, I just thank God for my family. Uh, God has given me, uh, my wife and I 15 grandchildren. That is wonderful until Christmas shows up, and it gets a little rough. <laughs> but uh, 15 grandchildren, and one day I'd like to come back and tell you about my little granddaughter, Aubrey. Aubrey is, um, she was born four months early. Now that's early. She was born, she, she only weighed 1.2 pounds. Now I catch fish bigger than that. 1.2 pounds. 
and only 10 and a half inches, like a little beanie baby. She's 20 years old today. She's in Bible college and uh, training to serve God. And don't tell me there's not a real God. There's a real God, a powerful God, amen, a miracle-working God. What a story for little Aubrey. And I thank God for little Aubrey. I thank God for all my grandchildren. And uh, I've got two that are married now, two more that are going to get married this summer. I've got a grandson who's as handsome as can be, big old boy, and he needs a wife. If you need the telephone number, just ask me. <laughs> now, he wants somebody looks good. He told me, Dad, Grandpa, give me somebody pretty. I said, well, God didn't make anybody ugly. Now, I've seen some come close, but God didn't make anybody ugly. So if you're interested, just let me know after the service. <clears throat> I get a little nervous, and I, uh, maybe I'll start off with this little story. You may have heard this little story. It's about, about a man and a woman there, and they're, they're, they're married. They've been married. I've been married 51 years. They've been married a long time, and, and uh, she became kind of grouchy. <laughs> and uh, they were kind of just not getting along very good, and he, she was mean to him, and he was mean to her, and they just weren't getting along. And one day she went into the grocery store, and um, she did something strange, never did this before, but she, she went in there and she stole a can of tomatoes. And mine must have snapped or something. She stole this can of tomatoes and they caught her and told her, you are going to now appear before the judge. So the day came that she is going to have to appear before the judge. And the judge in his thinking said, now I'm just going to make an example out of this woman. So he took that can of tomatoes that she stole and she, he said to her, ma'am, you steal the tomatoes? She said, yes, I did. He said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up this can of tomatoes, and for every tomato that's in that can, you're going to spend a day in jail. So he opens up the can of tomatoes, and it's one tomato, two tomatoes, three tomatoes, four tomatoes. Finally got to ten tomatoes and said, ma'am, you're going to spend ten days in jail. In the back of the courtroom, there's a, a little boy. It's her husband. Judge, 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 she also stole a large can of peas. So, now I'm not so nervous. So tonight, I had a preacher friend, his name was Tim Green, I don't know if you know him, he's an evangelist. I was in the service one day and he said, you know, I woke up this morning asking God what to preach and open up my sermon book and this one said, preach me, and this one said, preach me, and this one said, preach me. And, uh, but I opened up my sermon book and uh, nobody jumped up. And so, but I'm going to preach what I believe God wants me to preach tonight. And um, I, know, I know that uh, I have some instructions that God gave me, really. He said, number one, Tom, make sure you keep it simple. Number two, make sure you show them Jesus. And number three, make it short. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you like making it short. Uh, let me uh, just have a little word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for the privilege I thank you for the high calling of God to preach the gospel. And I thank you, Lord, planted all throughout this world are great churches. This is a great church. The gospel is being preached here. People have opportunity to be saved here. They have opportunity to be saved in my church. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel. I thank you for your great salvation. And Lord, I'm not here tonight to preach a gospel message, so to speak, a salvation message. But I'm here to preach tonight what you want me to preach and my goal is that all of us will leave this place tonight just more in love with the Lord Jesus than when we came. God, would you use me? I've been praying and asking the Holy Spirit of God to help me to honor the Lord Jesus, to lift him up, to exalt him as we sang tonight. Love lifted me. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. 
And I pray that I'll be a blessing to this church, and they've already been a blessing to me, and I thank you for it. I love you, Jesus, just like this church does. In your name I pray. Amen. I preached a little sermon this morning out of Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. And, but God commended his love toward us and that why we're yet sinners. I told the church this morning, I said, you know, God loves you. And um, that word commendeth might be the key word. It's the word that we use is to prove. But really the word commendeth is taking, if you really look it up, it means to take two things and set them side by side so as to confirm and to prove by contrast. Um, I really do believe this. I, I believe that there are a lot of people that uh, do not really think God really loves them. You'd be surprised if you're real honest. You, you might be, you, people here tonight, that you believe that God really doesn't have much affection for you. Now, that's not true. But sometimes we feel like God doesn't have much affection for us. And we don't believe that. And the reason is basically because we begin to interpret God's love the way we interpret our love. And the way we interpret our love a lot of times is we think, well, you know, why would he love me? I mean, how could he love me? And then we have all of our love, if we're not careful, we have all of our love on a merit-type basis. But God's love is not on a merit-type basis. God loves me when I'm doing good. God loves me when I'm not doing good. It's not on a merit-type basis. It's on a mercy basis that God loves me. You see, and then if we're real, real honest, I told my people this morning, if we're real, real honest, maybe we don't love God all that much. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many people don't feel like God loves them very much and they don't really love God very much. And if you put those two things together, what you have as a result is you have a lot of recklessness in the relationship. Yeah. And now we're thinking, well, I don't, God doesn't love me all that much. At least I know he said he does, but I don't see it so much. And I don't love God all that much, I don't think. And now, so what? So what if I don't become a good steward of my time? You know, so what if I don't give my tithe? Not much to lose in a relationship. So what if I don't come to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? So what? We get that type of attitude. So what? A lot of people that way. You know, I want to say this to you. Whenever you doubt God's love, I want you to contrast it. You know, my poor wife, she's not here tonight. I feel so sorry for my wife. My wife had good health till just a few years ago, and then all of a sudden she went to the doctor and they said, you got cancer. Yeah. Said she had breast cancer, and so they dealt with that, and then she, a little bit later she went back and said, you got cancer again. This time it's going to take some radical surgery. So she had that type of cancer. And then it wasn't long after that, my wife was down at our daughter's house and she, she had her arms full and she, she's out in the driveway, there's, there's some acorns that came off that tree and she stepped on one of those acorns and, and she lost her balance and she went down and she ripped her shoulder right off. Yeah. They had to put her shoulder back on. And then COVID hits. And then it wasn't too long ago, we were just sitting out there in our car, we we're on our way to my grandson's football game and, and we're just sitting at the red light and here comes this lady and about 50 miles an hour and hits no brakes and then bam, she hits us right in the back of the car. My wife said her body felt like it was a slinky, just went like that. Tonight she has bursitis in her hip, she's hard to get up. 
And I think sometimes, sometimes we may stop and think, God, do you, do you, God, you put us through all of this. And, and Lord, look at these calamities we're going through. And Lord, look at all these the trials that we're going through. And sometimes we might think, God, do you really love us? He does. I tell my wife, listen, God loves us. Listen, let's just make a contrast. Whenever we go through something, let's make sure we plant the cross right there beside us. And we look at that cross and we can never deny that God loves us. Yeah. Plant the cross. Remind yourself when you don't understand God's conduct, you can always trust his character. He's holy. He's pure. He makes no mistakes. Amen. And always keep Romans 8, 28 in mind. All things work together for good to them that love God. God loves you. God loves me. And I want you to go home tonight. When I finish this sermon, I want you to go home tonight more in love with Jesus than when you came. Luke 23, 33. I'm going to take four words out of there for a little introduction. Would you look at it, please, in verse number 33? I want you to see where it says, there... There is the place. Notice right in the middle. They, the people, crucified. That's the purpose. Him, the person. There they crucified him. Now this church talks about the cross. We all preach Christ crucified. But tonight, if I could just let us get a little fresh look for a moment. Sir, we would see Jesus. That's what I want. You know... When you stop and think about it, there, that is the place. That is called Calvary. In the Bible, it is known as Golgotha. Golgotha, it's that little hill outside the city of Jerusalem. If you would go there, and I've been there and seen it, you would see the little hill and you would see the face. You would see the skull. You would see the eyes sunken back, so to speak, in those stones. You would see the facial features on that rock that looked just like a face. And it would be, it's, it's Golgotha, the face of a skull. A lot of people, when they think about Golgotha, they have described it just as a place of execution. And so in their minds, there's just plenty of skulls laying around. It's the place. You know, when you think about a skull, you think about, first of all, you have to think about sin. I mean, the Bible says, you know this, for the wages of sin is death. Had there been no sin, there would be no death. But the Bible tells us, wherefore, it's by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. You see, the skull speaks of sin. It speaks of Jesus Christ. If I could just remind myself again that he's taking my place, and he's dying on that cross as my substitute, and he's dying for me, and he's dying there to pay all my sins. I just need to remind myself that oftentimes. What Jesus did on that cross. He was dying for me to pay my sin penalty. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, the Bible says. Who his own self bear our own sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. He bore your sins. We ought to rejoice in that. He paid it all. All to him I owe. The Bible says sins had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. The skull. Just think about the place of the skull. It reminds us of sin. It reminds us of death. You see a skull. Somebody's died. Do you know Jesus Christ? He truly died on that cross. I know you know this, but I'm trying to get you to see Christ just for a moment. Because my title is Calvary and what it demands. So I'm trying to show you Calvary for a moment. And I want to, that, that, that skull reminds us of death. Jesus Christ died the physical death. 
You know, there are some people, and you've heard this before, some people that think, well, Jesus, they have what's called a swoon theory. That Jesus Christ never really died on that cross. I mean, they, they, they had him on that cross, but when they took him down and put him in the tomb, the cool air of the tomb revived him, and he came, and he came back. He never really died. Nah, that's, uh, that's hogwash. Amen. Some, some one boy asked his pastor, did Jesus die or did he swoon? He said, well, let me ask you something. Let, let me do this. Let me take you, take you out here and whip you with about 39 times with this cat of nine tails. And uh, let me nail you to an old cross. Let me stick you out in a Judean sun for about six hours. And then let me take a spear and throw it into your side till blood and water comes out and see if you swoon. <laughs> he didn't swoon, he died. And dear people, that's going to happen to us. Someday we're going to die. But that, that skull reminds us that death is coming my way, so I need to be prepared to meet God. Amen? Yeah, the skull reminds us. It also reminds us that if you see a skull, it's, it's empty. It reminds us of the emptiness that Jesus did. You know, when Jesus, he came willingly to this earth. And Jesus came and he, the Bible says that he, that he emptied himself, really. And uh, he was always God. Even when he came to this earth, he was still God. He was the God-man. He was just as much God as though he was not man. He was just as much man as though he was not God. He was the God-man. But when he left heaven in all of its splendor, he emptied himself of all that glory up there and all that praise. And he came down and emptied himself of some of his attributes where he, uh, he was not on my present right now and so forth. But he was still God. But he did all that for me. He came to die on that old cross. There is the place. Can I say the people for just a moment? There they, that's the people. You know, it's debated a lot of time who killed Jesus. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Well, they had a big part. I mean, it's the Jews that came to the garden that night and arrested the Lord Jesus and took him before Pilate and they had the trial. And it was the Jews there that condemned him and accused him of blasphemy and said, uh, eventually they said, well, away with him and crucify him. It was the Jews. They were not allowed to have crucifixion. It was not their uh, way they could do things. So they turned him over to the Romans and the Romans, they, they had a big part in killing Jesus. And it was a big Roman soldier that whipped him, was it not? It was the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. So the Romans, they, they, they had a big part in the death of the Lord Jesus. They scourged him and beat him and spit upon him and led him to the hill. So the Jews, the Romans. But in the final analysis, who killed him? You and I, your sin, my sin. It was my sins that nailed him to the cross. That's why he's dying, amen? It was my sins and your sins that put him on that cross. Ladies and gentlemen, we are much responsible for the death of Jesus as the Jews and the Romans. They, they, our sins nailed him to the cross. Can I get to the word crucified? I'm trying to show you Jesus for a moment. Crucified. Crucifixion. Horrifying. Can you imagine the cross, the crucifixion? Can you imagine the excruciating pain? Can you imagine the shamefulness of it? Naked on the cross. Can you imagine? Crucifixion is the most horrifying, shameful, excruciating type of death ever known to mankind. You should read about it in Psalm 22. If I could describe to you the death of the Lord Jesus, the crucifixion, and do justice, cold chills would run up and down your spine. 
I believe if I could do it with justice and describe the death of the Lord Jesus, it wouldn't be somebody in this auditorium saying, Preacher, stop now. I don't want to hear any more of that. Yeah. It began in the garden. Sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. I picture that for a moment. I picture the Lord Jesus and I picture the scourging. I can't handle the scourging. I can't handle the Lord Jesus and his bare back and that Roman lictor taking that flagellum, that cat of nine tails, and usually on the cat of that nine tails, they'd have some, some pieces of glass maybe or bone or metal. And he, just, he knew just, he was trained in that. He knew just how to use that lictor. He knew just how to whip that person. I mean, he was not to kill them, but he could, but he was to bring them close to death. I don't know if they scourged him 39 times. The Apostle Paul, he talks about five times. Little Apostle Paul, maybe not five feet tall. I mean, he got it five times, 39 lashes saved one. I can't imagine what his back looked like. And I'm thinking about the Lord Jesus. And I'm thinking about those lashes that he took. And every time I think about that whip going across his back, I want to I holler, no, don't do it anymore. All ripped apart. The lashes, the scourging. Then they put him on that cross and they nailed him and they took those nails and they put them in his feet and they put them in his hands. And when I hear that, that hammer, I want to say, stop. They took that cross and those old Roman soldiers and they put that cross in that hole and they dropped it in there with a big thud. And the Bible says all of his bones came out of joint. I'm telling you, there they crucified him. He's on the cross, my place, your place, Dying for my sins, his tongue's at the roof of his mouth. He's dried up and his tongue is, and his, and, 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 and his heart is melt like wax. They say he died of suffocation. Others say he died of a broken heart. He died on a little rugged cross. You think about it. He gave up the ghost. Folks, if you want to know what God thinks of sin... And if you want to know all that, what hell's going to be like, you just go back and look at that cross again. Anyone who dies without Jesus Christ and ends up in that place called hell is going to experience what Jesus Christ experienced on that cross. That pain, that suffering, that torment, that thirst. You know, thank God we can miss all that by trusting the Lord Jesus. Yeah. The place. About with my, done with my introduction now. I'm going to tell you about the person. Who is he? Who is he that's on that cross? The person. There is the place. They is the people. Crucified is the purpose. Him, the person. First Chronicles, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 8, calls him the Lord of glory. I like that name, don't you? He's the Lord of glory. You get back over there in the book of Psalms, chapter 24, and he's called the King of glory. That's who's dying on that old rugged cross, the Lord of glory. The King of glory. I mean, there's, this is no mere man. This is the Son of God. Yea, this is very God dying for me. I just want you to know that. I, I want us to love him for that. I want us to praise his holy name. Who is this that's dying on that cross? Who is to him? It's the perfect, sinless, only begotten Son of God, the Lord of glory, the King of glory. They crucified him. Think about it. Think about what God has done for us. Can you... Can we grasp it just a little tonight? Because here we go. I got three little points I'm going to give you. 
and I'm good on time. What, after all that, what does Calvary demand? What does it demand? Matthew chapter 18, verse number three. Jesus said this as the son of God. He said, except ye be converted as, and become as little children, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You know what I believe? I believe that Calvary demands a conversion. You see, first of all, I found out there are a lot of people who claim to be saved that are not saved. The reason I can say that is because I, I don't really see a conversion. Yeah, true conversion. You know, back in, when I was a kid, way back in the 20th century when I was a kid, and uh, we were in high school, we, it was back then when we had 57 Chevrolets. Anybody else? We're cooking on the same burner with anybody in here? I mean, right now, yeah. Man, we had, I mean, I don't know what kind of words you describe them. I don't know. Cool. Smooth. Back then, we might have used the word groovy. I don't know what we used. But we're riding around a 57 Chevrolet. My friend had a 57 Chevrolet. Now, my dad, he, he was on the Normandy Beach and he shot his arm off. He worked for a car dealer. He, that was a Mercedes-Benz place, Mercedes and Studebakers. What a combination. Dad had Studebakers. You couldn't tell if you were coming or going with one of those Studebakers the way they were shaped. Some of you know what I mean. But we had a 57 Chevy. Convertible. Man, was it nice. It was very nice. Now, anybody, and we, she remembers this, Vivian does, she remembers Frisch's up there in Milford. Frisch's was a place, it was a drive through restaurant, and you would drive through there, and all the, all the, the dudes would drive through Frisch's in, in their car, you know, trying to look for those young ladies, you know how we did. And, uh, and we were driving through, and we, but we were in the convertible, and we were looking smooth. <laughs> and everybody that looked at that car knew that that car had been converted, because it wasn't normal to have the top cut right off. So if you had a convertible, everybody knew that it was converted. And do you know if you've had a true conversion in your life, if you've truly been saved and born again, I mean, everybody should be able to know that you've been converted. Amen. I mean, you had the evidence that that car was a convertible. There ought to be just as much evidence in my life that I have been converted. And I have been converted. I have been born again. And people can look at my own life and know that Tom Hunter's had a change in his life. He's been converted. And you need to make sure that you have, have had a conversion. Calvary demands a conversion. You know, when Jesus talked about it in John chapter 3, he said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. What he was saying is, you know, the, the work of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, you don't see the work of the Holy Spirit in your life getting saved, and, but you see the evidence of it. Amen. And there ought to be evidence that you've been converted. You know, the, that word conversion means to take something and change the original use. Yeah. And you take something, you convert it. When I left Bible college and my son Aaron was born real sick, he had a tumor in his throat. And uh, he spent the first three months of his life in the hospital and gave him 150 shots just to keep the boy alive. And it, it was something God did. It was another miracle that God did in our life. The last thing I heard the doctor say, they went down, they found that tumor. They said they're going to go down a second time to see what it's doing. And the last thing I heard the doctor say, he came out with some tears in his eyes. And I thought for sure they lost our son. And, but the last thing he said, he said, ma'am, he said, he said uh, uh, Hunters, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's your faith in God or what, but we just can't find that thing anymore. 
<laughs> I said, Doc, that's exactly what it is. It's faith in our big God. So the doctors, I want to start a church. And the doctors said, now, listen, you need to leave Michigan. You need to leave Ohio weather. Find you a drier climate. So we decided to go to, um, uh, uh, where, where do I want to go? Arizona. At my age, you're good wherever you're at. You feel good wherever you're at. But uh, we're going to Arizona. I never knew it snowed in Arizona. I went to public school. I thought it was all desert myself. So we decided not to go to Phoenix. It was too big a city. We said, well, let's go to Flagstaff. Oh, my goodness. It was cold and it was snowy and beautiful part of the country. But um, I'm going to go out there for my son. But while I go, I'm going to be busy for God. I think I'll start my little church while I'm out there. So I, got a, I bought a church bus off of Dr. Malone, Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm pretty sure I got swindled. I bought that bus for $1,000, I think. And now the bus used to be a, a, a school bus. But uh, Emmanuel, they converted it to a church bus. So we took all the seats out of that thing and put them in the back, and we're going to go out there. I got two little boys with me, and we got a playpen on that bus, and we're going to make a camper out of it. <laughs> we're on our way to Flagstaff to start us a church, and we got us a camper. So on the back of that bus, I did I had a 1970 Monte Carlo. I wished I had it today. It'd be worth a little bit of money. They put the, the car on the back of the bus. I've never even driven a bus before. My wife, last thing Brother Keene said is they have got great faith. <laughs> and uh, he put, they put the car on the back of that bus and they said, now here's what I want. Don't, whatever you do, don't back up. Oh, Lord have mercy. So I'd have to pull in these fancy campgrounds. This big old camper over here. I mean, it's nice. But my wife had made ours the best she could be, and she put curtains in that thing. They were blue and white checks. We looked like Petticoat Junction going down the road. I mean, we're <laughs> flying down the road, and we got to get to this stop, but we can't turn around. Everybody's asleep next door. They're asleep over there. My wife and I, we got the lights on. We're swatting mosquitoes everywhere. I mean, they're in that bus. But we had it converted. Do you know Calvary? demands a conversion. You see, what I used to be, I used to live for the devil. But now that I'm saved, now I've been, I, I, I need that conversion where now I'm, it's for a different use now. God has my life now. God has my body now. And I've had a conversion. One of the greatest days of my life was when I came up here to the altar one day and got on my knees before God and said, God, uh, I was going to the University of Kentucky and I said, God, I, I, I want to be this forest stranger. I want to, I want to, be, I want to, I want to manage a, a national park someplace, but God, I never ask you what to do. I got up there on my knees and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I, I, want, I want you to take my life and use it however you want me to be. He said, Tom, I'm a, I, want to, I want to convert you to a preacher. 48 years now. I'm not the best preacher, but I sure love doing it. I do. Praise God. You know, God demands a conversion. So I just want to ask you, if you've been born again, do you have evidence of that? And have you been converted? Is your life now being used for something else? Are you serving God? Are you living for God? Calvary demands it. Calvary demands that you be converted. Yeah. Calvary demands a confession. Number two. Calvary demands a confession. You know, after you're saved, you need to, you need to have a, a, a confession. In fact, I got saved through confession. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. I had a confession that I was an old sinner and I needed Jesus Christ who was the Savior. I had a confession. You know, you need a confession. 
The Bible says, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him should not be ashamed. You know how my confession started? I, I confessed that I was a sinner. I confessed Christ. And after I got saved, I confessed Christ through my baptism. I was so excited. I called my son today. I told you I think he had 22 baptized today. 22 made their public confessions. Have you made that? Have you made that? There are Christians today or somebody today that you're probably in this room tonight and, and you, you've been saved and praise God for that, but you've never been baptized. That's your public confession. When you go into that water, you're saying the one that died on the cross now lives in my heart and I'm not ashamed of him. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for me and was buried and he rose again and, and all my sins have been washed away, not by water, but by his blood. And now I'm dead to the old time, raised to walk in a newness of life. It's a testimony, a confession that you're born again. You, you, you make sure you have been saved and baptized. It's a confession that all of us need to make. A confession. You know, <clears throat> confess Christ. You need to confess Christ to your friends after you get saved. Amen. You need to confess Christ to your family. Oh, I have two boys got saved. I didn't lead them to Christ, but I, they just come to church right now. And one of them's name is Sebastian and, and uh, his wife's name Minna. And they come into church now and they got saved. And I said, have you been baptized? No, I haven't been baptized. So I got to baptize them. And they've been gone for a couple of weeks. I wish you could meet them. And they've been down in Columbia. He's from Columbia, I guess. And he went down there to see his dad and so forth. And I said, whoa, I'd like to go to Columbia. I'd like to go on a mission trip down there. But is it safe? He said, well, <laughs> he kind of hesitated on that. I said, well, you just talked me out of it. But he said what I was doing, he said, I was down there evangelizing. Preacher, I was down there telling everybody about Jesus, but they're all Catholics down there, he said. But he was down there confessing Christ. Another old boy came to church, his name is Ed, and, and he got saved and told me his testimony. And, and, uh, and then so this Sunday, last Sunday and this Sunday, he brought his dad, and Wednesday night he brought his mom. He's been confessing to mom. He's been confessing to dad. We need to have confession to people. You ever confess God to your best friend? Oh, my best friend, we, we went to school together and we played ball together and, and we did everything together. We double dated together. We did everything together. And one day, I, but I never told him about Christ. One day I came home from Bible college and I was going to talk to my best friend. I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. I went over to his house and I sat in his house and I watched TV with him. And I don't know why it was so hard for me to tell my best friend about Jesus. I didn't want him to go to hell. And I said, Glenn, just take me home. Got in that car and I said, God, what am I going to say? I got to talk to him, God. I said, Glenn, I want you to know I love you. I want you to come to heaven with me. I want us to play ball in heaven. I probably won't miss a shot. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm just kidding. I want you to come to heaven with me. I want us to spend eternity together. Would you let me tell you about Jesus? We pulled in, turned the engine off, got to share with him about the Lord Jesus. Last words. Tom, nobody ever told that to me before. Confess Christ. Confess him to your neighbors. I wish I could take you to Michigan. If I had time, I'd take you all around the block. And I'm, and I'm nobody. I'm not some spiritual giant. But I knew my job was to confess the Lord Jesus. And I went to all my neighbors and I confessed them to Christ. Confess Christ to them. I watched them get saved one right after another. 
Old Willie across the street, I, I used to take him some fish. I loved to go fishing, and I wanted to take him some fish. And I knocked on his door and said, Willie, I got some fish for you today. He said, oh, I don't really care about the fish so much, preacher, but could you come in and tell me how to be saved? Wow. We've got to confess Christ. We Christians are lacking in that. Every Saturday, almost all, all my Christian days, I go out there, and I, you don't have to do this, but I go out there. Hello, sir. My name is Tom Hunter. I'm from Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm here today to meet you, and I'd like to be able to share the gospel with you. I've led a lot of people to Christ that way. I want to confess him to people. Calvary demands it. Calvary demands it. After all that he's done, I ought to go and confess. It says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus said, If ye confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. I don't know if I have the right interpretation of that verse or not, but I heard a good man of God say this. If we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father. It's like this. When Jesus sees you confessing him, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he says to the Father, Look at Tom down there. Look at Tom. Oh, Tom, he, he's confessing me to that neighbor over there. And Jesus just confessed me before the Father. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Jesus confessing me to the Father. It requires a confession. God help me to be a good confessor. Lastly, it demands a crucifixion. Calvary, there, they crucified him. What I need to do is I need to have a conversion. I need to have a confession and it demands a crucifixion. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. You know, Calvary demands that I die. Calvary demands that I die, that Christ might live through me. That's what he wants to do. He wants to come back to earth and live again through me, through you. If that's going to happen, it's going to require me to die to self. Because we're selfish people and we want to live for ourselves. But Calvary demands that I live a crucified life. Again, I, I went to the University of Kentucky majoring in forestry. That day I told God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll die to my will. I'll die to my desires. Lord, I'm willing to die to my plans. Do you know, Paul said, we're to take up our cross. Do you know if you see a man carrying a cross? Do you know what he's saying? All my plans are over. Christians, Calvary demands that I take up my cross. Calvary demands that I die to self. Do you do that? Have you died to your plans so you could do his plans? Have you done that, young person? Have you ever made your trip? Have you ever got on your knees? Say, God, this is what I want to do, but what do you want me to do? You ever done that? You ever die to self when you're watching TV and something comes on your television that you know you shouldn't watch and you have to die to self and turn that station right now? Yeah. Did you ever die to self when you're getting dressed for your day and the old world is dressing out there and, and the old devil's trying to get you to look like the world and conform to the world? And Did you ever stand in front of the mirror and say, God, are you pleased? Are you pleased with the way I'm dressed today? Would I honor you? Will I have a good testimony when I go to the mall or to the store? 
and look at yourself and say, you know, I don't think this pleases God. I'm going to die to self and I'm going to put myself in some modest clothing. True? We are to die to self. Is he asking too much? Is he? There. They crucified him. Is he asking too much? Calvary demands a conversion. Calvary demands a confession. Calvary demands for me and you a crucifixion. Shall we pray? Will we do it? Oh, preacher, I heard this sermon tonight. No, you haven't heard it if you don't apply it. God's definition of hearing is hearing plus is audio plus action. If I really heard tonight, I'm going to apply it. The original use of your life ought to have changed now that you know Jesus. Now you're using your life and your body for him. Find you a place of service in this great church. You need to have a conversion. We need to be soul winning people. We need to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. We need to have confession. Confess Christ. How about your neighbor? How about the coworker? How about your family members? We must confess. Calvary demands it. And we must have a crucifixion in my life. I must die that Jesus Christ might live through me. Would you apply that tonight? I didn't preach a salvation message per se, but I'm reminded that Jesus had 12 and one of those was lost. There might be somebody here tonight and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you could just think about what Jesus did on that cross, he's taking your hell on that cross. He's paying your price, your penalty. But if you come to him by faith and receive him by faith into your heart, you can be cleansed by his blood. You can become a child of God, robed in the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can have his salvation as a free gift and heaven will be your home. But you must come to him by faith. Our Father in heaven. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, we, we were not there when they said there they crucified him, but we know what that means. It was a place, the people, and the people would be me. And those that are unsaved, they are still in the same crowd that said, crucify him. We were all there at one time. They crucified you, Jesus. It's hard to be able to handle what they did to you, but you did it all for us. You did all that for us. And then it was you, Lord, the King of glory, the Lord of glory, the Lord of hosts, the very Son of God, yea, God himself. What more could he ask? What more could he do? And so he said, Calvary, Tom, I want you to know it demands something from you. It demands a conversion. It demands a confession. It demands a crucifixion in your life. Live that way till you meet me. Help us to do that, Lord. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for the preacher here. I pray your blessing upon the preacher. I pray your healing upon his life. Thank you, Lord, for this man of God. I do. Bless now in the invitation. I pray in Jesus' name. 
On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.